turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. As you're turning there, uh, let, me, let me just remind you of what you've, one thing you've already heard. Our community picnic is coming in just a few weeks. And uh, you've heard me say many times, if you've been to Kingwood before, Shelby County is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. And our community picnic that's coming the Sunday after Labor Day is a huge, huge, huge opportunity for you and I to invite someone to come and join us at church that day uh, where we're going to have a great time, a great picnic, a lot of fun, a lot of opportunity to meet people. But we're also going to have everything displayed that our church can help a person do in taking their next step toward God, in God, in the church family. And so there's going to be a lot of huge opportunity there. It really functions like a community picnic open house. So I want to encourage you uh, to invite somebody with you. You know, in the end, there's really only one difference between a church that is touching its community and a church that's not. A church that's touching its community invites family and friends to come with them on the journey. A church that's not doesn't. And so I want to encourage you, Kingwood Church, as we gather together on that Sunday, man, that's a great opportunity to invite a friend, a neighbor, a relative, a friend, a person who doesn't have a church home, maybe a Christian who doesn't have a church home, maybe a person who is not a Christian at all. It's a great day. I'll be sharing the gospel that morning, uh, and it'll be a great opportunity. So I want to ask you to join us there. And then tonight uh, is soak. So I've been thinking as we've been coming out of summer, and for those of you who have uh, school-age kids, maybe uh, college-age, you know, you're back to school and all that, everything this time of year is always about getting back to something, you know, coming off vacation, getting back to routine, getting back to school. How many of you gone back to school supply shopping? Oh, man, that's like purgatory, right? Be trapped in, like my picture of hell is trapped in Walmart shopping for school supplies for eternity. That would have to be part of it. And nothing on the list is on the shelf. Did anybody notice? Anyway, I could go, I could go too long. I've got answers. No, no, I can't. Like I, I, all the fruit of self-control that God's given me, I'm exercising right now. And we get back enrolled and involved and back in sports and back in schedule and back in school. Let me ask you a question. When do we come back to God? Everything's focused on the physical. When do we focus on the spiritual? When do we come back to God? And so when does Kingwood Church come and meet God? When do we as a church seek God's face? It's called soak. Tonight at 5.30, tonight at 5, every leader, every person who's serving, everybody who's influential and involved at Kingwood Church, I want to invite you to be with us. I want to challenge you to be with us in prayer. In the end, it's not all the other stuff that changes anything. It's prayer and an encounter with God. So when do we seek God? We seek God the third Sunday night of every month. We call it soak. I want to ask you now to come back to God. doesn't mean you've been away. It just means maybe the schedule's been a little different and it's time to seek Him. So join us tonight. All right. Um, how many of you grew up in a small church? How many of you grew up in a small church? I grew up in a... Good, this will be fun. I grew, up in a, I grew up in a small little church, and uh, small church life is different. Uh, we had a plaque on the wall, and it would tell you how much the offering was. You'd have a little guy run up there in the middle of the service. He'd slide the thing over, and you'd see how much the offering was. I don't know what that was about. I mean, I don't know if you're going to take it again, if you didn't get enough. I don't know how that worked. 
And then you'd see how many people were at church, you know, and then you'd have how many guests. They'd slide the little how many guests there. And I can remember in our church, man, we hit 40. It was like, you know, Billy Graham had arrived. It, it was, uh, the world was changing. And then on the platform, it was real small. You had, now look, this is through a kid's eyes, right? This is all I remember as a kid. Uh, you had dueling piano and organ. You had the piano on one side, the organ on the other, and they would con, 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 and play each other. And I don't know if my church was against drums or not. Uh, I never could figure out if we were against drums or we just too small to have them. I don't know. But we, I know this, we never had drums. I don't know why, we just had the piano and the organ. And, and then we always had a volunteer worship leader. You know, we could barely even afford a pastor, and he was part-time. And then we had a volunteer worship leader and I don't know why this was ever the thing, but how many of you remember this? You get up, the volunteer guy, and he's going to uh, lead you like you're the choir. You remember that? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Everybody, and the master of the sea. Remember that? Like, I don't even know what that was. I got like no shot of being in a choir, I can tell you that. But it made, it made, me, it made me think about those days, like how intense the altar calls were. A small church altar calls are intense because there's nowhere to hide. There's no back row. There's nothing to get under. And we would stand and sing, I surrender all, and we would sing it till everybody surrendered everything. Do you remember this? Everybody in a small church is saved because nobody's going home till everybody gets saved. Right? And finally, you'd go, hey, look, uh, somebody's going to have to take one for the team because he's not going to give up till somebody goes. One of y'all going to have to go. Right? You, you've experienced this, I can tell. I was just thinking, what if we wrote a book called Honest Christian Hymns? So instead of singing the song the way life should be, we sing it the way that life sometimes is. So you remember this uh, down, I'm so glad that I'm a part. That's some home cooking, isn't it? Of the family of God. Remember that? What if it was honest? I'm surprised that you're a part of the family of God. Right? Or, or, or what about this one? What a friend we have in Jesus. Maybe it would be, what an acquaintance we have in Jesus. Or maybe you remember this one. I surrender all. Remember? I surrender. What if we sang it the way like it is too often? I surrender some. I surrender some. But keep your hands off my wallet and my porn addiction and my prescription drugs and my weekends because I get to church when I can sometimes. And keep your hands off my gluttony and my bitterness and my unforgiveness. I surrender some. Well, it's funny until you think about it. The truth is, God's not holding out on you. You're holding out on Him. The real issue is, do you trust God? Now, let me give you a definition of surrender this morning, because in this series, that's sort of what we're going to be talking about today. Maybe you want to take something out and write this down. Surrender is not when we give God something. It's when we give God everything. Compromise is when we give God something. Contract is when we give God something. Negotiation is when we give God something. Surrender is when we give God everything. A 95% commitment to God's 5% short. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, eventually He won't be Lord at all. 
So we've been talking in this series about how Jesus didn't come all the way to the earth and die and suffer and take our sin on the cross in order to be in our top ten. So we've been calling this series The Blessed Life. How many, how many of you want to live a blessed life? Yeah, well, everybody's in now. Yes. Amen. That's good. You should want to. And I think God put the desire in all of us to connect with Him in that way. I can tell you how to live a blessed life. Surrender everything to Jesus. I don't know what the answer would be if it's not that. Now, we've been talking about giving because the toughest area for most of us surrender to Jesus is money. So maybe for you it's not money. Maybe for you it's about a relationship. Maybe for you it's about a habit. Maybe for you it's about a desire. Maybe for you it's about a direction in life that you want to go or you are going that God doesn't want you to go. Maybe that's what it is. God wants you to surrender everything to Him. And that's what surrender is. So 1 Kings 18, let me give you a quick recap. We've been camping out in this chapter for three weeks. This is the third week we're looking at 1 Kings 18. If you miss one of the other two, I really encourage you to get on our podcast and, and you can catch up. So God tells Elijah there's not going to be rain or dew for three years. So we started talking about how the nation of Israel um, had turned their heart toward God. God led them to the promised land. He blessed them. He took them out of slavery. He gave them a new land. He blessed them. And when they got to the place, eventually they turned their heart away from God. Uh, Now, they were still religious. God was still important to them, but he wasn't first. So God got their attention by crashing their economy. He told a man named Elijah to pray that it wouldn't rain or have morning dew, no moisture, for three years. And this drought crashed the economy because the economy was totally dependent upon agriculture. So finally, after three years, God tells Elijah to go to the king Ahab and challenge him to see who's God's greater. You take the 450 prophets of Baal, who was a, a false god that they worshipped then. I'll, I'll, Elijah says, I'll come. We'll meet on the mountain. We're going to build an altar. And whoever, whoever's God sets the altar on fire, that's the God that's real. And so last week, we left off right here. The prophets of Baal had danced around the altar until dark. They were crying out, they were pleading, they were dancing, they were cutting themselves. They were begging Baal to send fire, but, but Baal didn't do anything. And now I want to ask you three questions this morning. And I'm going to give you the answer to the questions before I ask. How many of you like a test like that? Yes. I'm good at those. And the answer to all three questions is the same. So I'm going to give you the answer to all three questions before I ask you the question, and it's the same. Here's the answer. Water. Water's the answer. So let's look at the first question. During this three-year drought, what were the people most desperate for? Uh, Incredible. You're incredible. I feel like you've been down this road before. Now, they they didn't think it was a good idea... Water wasn't an interest. Water wasn't a hobby. They didn't like water. They were desperate for water. He brought them to a point of desperation so they could find out how awesome God is. Can I tell you what I found out in my life? Sometimes God will bring you to a point of desperation in your life and what you think has been sent to you as a curse is actually a blessing. Some of the things as I look back I thought were curses on my life. I thought they were going to ruin me, made me. Some of the things I thought were going to destroy me drove me straight into God's arms. 
Sometimes the desperation, sometimes the hard times, sometimes that spot of longing and hunger and thirst and desire is not a curse. Sometimes it is a blessing. Because it's God saying to you, you can't do life without me. And this is just another example of how poor, broke, lonely, empty, dehydrated you are without me. Finding out you need God more than you thought is not a curse, it's a blessing. So you can come to church and not be desperate for God. You can pray and read your Bible and listen to Christian music and not be desperate for God. You can experience a worship service and your takeaway will be, hey, wasn't that, remember that one song the pastor said, wasn't that funny? Boy, that was a creative sermon. Man, I I like that baby dedication, that was good. Or or, or maybe your takeaway can be, man, when are we going to sing a song that I like? It was hot in there today. I didn't really really like that. Uh, When's the band going to do something that I like? You know, I sure do hope somebody invites somebody to the church picnic because it'd be fun if there were people there that day. And here's just what I want to say. When you find yourself talking about church service like a new restaurant you just tried out, you're not a Christian who's desperate for God. You're a Christian who's a consumer. And the only two things I know of that can cause that is either you're a baby Christian and you haven't outgrown the stage of Christianity where you think it's all about you yet, or you've been inside the church so long and you're so familiar with everything that your hunger has died. Either way, either way, there's no desperation. On the other hand, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've been desperate for God this week. You've been, let me describe that. We always think that feels good. Most of the time, it doesn't feel good. When it feels good, it probably won't last long. Most of the time, maybe this week you've cried. Maybe this week you've wondered if God even knows who you are, knows your name, knows what you're going through, understands why won't God come through? Why won't He answer? Why won't the circumstances change? Why won't anything change? I have prayed and I've done the right thing and I've done everything that I know to do and nothing will change. Does God care? Is it coincidental that you're at a church service this morning hearing about a God who wants you, who loves you, and who's walking with you through this place of desperation? God is doing things in your life today that you may even be unaware of, but you will look back and see one day how involved God was. Because God will never turn away a desperate heart. Broken in a contrite spirit, David said in Psalms, God would never turn away from. I remember when I was 15 years old and I fell to my knees in my living room floor at 2 o'clock one morning, early one Saturday morning, and I looked up to the ceiling and I cried out to God. And it was the desperation of emptiness that drove me to that spot. I was miserable. And I cried out and said, God, are you there? Are you real? Do you even know who I am? Do you even care? Does it matter? Is anything going to happen? Desperation brought me to God. Desperation's not a curse. Might be a blessing. Here's the second question. What was the most valuable commodity? Everybody still remember the answer? Okay. What was the most valuable commodity in the entire land of Israel at this time? It was more valuable than gold and silver and land because water was the source of life. If you've ever had any experience in the desert, you understand this. 
Where there is water, there is life. Where there is no water, there is no life. Did you know that Jesus once said to a woman at a well who had gone through one man after another, after another, after another, who was broken, whose soul was empty. If you drink from this water that I offer, I am the living water. If you drink from this water that I offer, you'll never thirst again. Water. Jesus even used himself in that sense as water. You'll never thirst again. Here's the last question. If you were going on a trip 2,500 years ago, and the trip was going to take you between one day and many days to journey, what's the one thing you would not leave without? Yes! You're incredible! For all of you who hated school, A+. Yes! Pass the test. To leave home in the desert for a 24-hour period or longer, and to go on a trip without water was suicide. You had to have water with you. The people that journeyed to Mount Carmel, where Elijah said, you get the 450 prophets of Baal, and you meet me on Mount Carmel. The people who journeyed to Mount Carmel would have had to have had water with them. Remember, the land has been under a severe drought for three years, and not only did they not have rain, they didn't even have dew in the morning. The thing they were most desperate for was water. Now, I want you to keep that in mind when we read 1 Kings 18. Look at 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. Now look, he took 12 stones. He built an altar out of 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two saves of seed. I have no idea how big that is, but it sounds like it's big from reading this. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them... Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Can you imagine there had to be a guy somewhere standing around behind a tree or rock that went, Hey, I know you're not from around here, but we've been in a drought. You're not going to be pouring water out on nothing. Because <laughs> we're going to die if you pour the water out. We're not going to be pouring no water out nowhere. And so what did Elijah say in verse 34? Do it again. Do it again, he said. And then what did he say? Do it again. Third time. He ordered, and then they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. You know, there's got to be somebody that forgot their little water flask, and they're down there licking it like a dog. Sorry, I didn't know, I didn't know we were doing something. Now, i got a question for you. Where did the water come from? It took a minimum of one day to walk there. There was, it took, uh, uh, it would have been a journey of a day to go to the closest sea and get water and bring it back. There was no well, there was no natural water source. Where did the water come from? Well, first off, we don't understand where the water came from because this scripture does not have the same significance in the American culture as it does in the Hebrew culture. Now, follow me. 2,500 years ago for a Jewish person to pour water out. Think about it. During a three-year drought, to take the water they had and pour it out on a rock 
was an extreme and desperate form of worship because they did not know where the next supply of water was coming from. They didn't know when it was going to rain again. It was a demonstration of radical and desperate and complete surrender on God to pour water out. They weren't just saying, I surrender all. They were showing, I surrender all. Watch this. Now, I don't know what's going to happen next. They were taking what was tangibly valuable to them and sacrificing it to God, saying, God, I love you. Now, there's no help but God. We're in God's hands. Secondly, Elijah got the water from the people. Remember, they had to come at least a day's journey. They all would have been packing water, or otherwise it would have been some form of suicide. So he had to ask them to give from the water that they brought with them. So Elijah was challenging them to surrender to God, to worship God, to commit to God. And the reason that he called three times is that most people don't commit the first time. He called them and they came in three different groups. The first time he says, look, you guys have tried Baal. You followed the system of the world. The system of the world's not working. So why don't you surrender to God? There was one group that came forward and, and two groups that held back. So Elijah calls the second time. Okay, he's saying, look, some of you are holding out on God and I am unapologetically asking you to come and pour your water out your offering of water on this altar and then a few more people moved. And there's always one group of people that have planted their feet in the ground and their favorite hymn is, I shall not be moved. And so he says to them, look, one more time. The prophet of God is speaking to the people and he's saying to them, you, you, you have got to get this right. You have not followed God in this area of your life and it's left you dry and empty. You need to surrender. And then the third rock group came forward and they poured their water on the rock and, and all they could say after that is, now we're in God's hands. Now what's the significance of all of that? The significance of all of that is this. Everybody's life is better if Jesus is at the center. Just like they held the water source, which was the source of life, in their hands and guarded and protected it, today we hold money in our hands and it is in the American culture our life source and the equivalent of what water would have been 2,500 years ago in the desert in a drought. And money is the one area we have the hardest time surrendering to Jesus. And as your pastor, I just want to say to you, and I will unapologetically tell you, until you surrender your finances to Jesus, you have not fully surrendered to Jesus. And maybe this morning for some of you it's not money. You know, maybe it's about starting a dating relationship with somebody you don't have any business to be in a relationship with. Maybe you're married and you've started an emotional attachment or flirtatious relationship with somebody outside your marriage and you have no business doing that. Maybe it's that you're in a career you don't belong in and it's time to make a move. Maybe you're a college student and it's the wrong major. Maybe, maybe you're a family that struggles managing all your time and you're investing all your time in sports and extracurricular activities and you've put all the physical in front of the spiritual. And it's time, it's time to make a change and surrender. I'm just saying, whatever's the most valuable thing to you, could you take it and pour it out and give it to God? Are you fully surrendered to God? Now watch this. Here's what happened when people get desperate for God. 1 Kings 18.36. 
At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Look what his prayer was. Let it be known today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and you've done all these, I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know what? They will know, O Lord, you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. It also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell, I can be careful, prostrate. We don't know prostate's fallen. Prostrate and cried. Like, I might as well go ahead because I'd do it on accident if I didn't do it on purpose. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now watch this. What did they need more than anything else? But Elijah didn't ask for water. Elijah did not pray and ask for water. He prayed that the people would know that God was God. They're in a three-year drought. Their, their economy has crashed. People are starving to death. They're dehydrated. They're drying out. And he asked not for water. But that people would know that God was God. In a land that's dry, the last thing you want falling from the sky is fire. If I'd have been standing there, I don't think I would have thought that was a miracle. We think it's a miracle because we sensationalize it. I look at it and I say, whoa, 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 whoa. I get that Baal didn't do it, but I think you sent the wrong email. Because we are dying of dehydration and starvation and our plants aren't growing and we can't even water our animals and our economy's dead because we got no water and you send fire that not only burns up the wood and the altar, it sucks up the water we just poured out. What is this craziness? They didn't need fire, they needed rain. Verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now, if you're standing at the scene and there wasn't a cloud in the sky, but Elijah is telling Ahab, Hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. Look over here. I know there was just fire. I know like we had the challenge and then things got worse. How many of you... Have you ever dug into God and then the next thing was things got worse? He said, but hang on, the best is yet to come. Elijah is believing in a God that could do more than we think or imagine. In spite of the fact that the king has turned his back on God, in spite of the fact that he'd led the nation away from God, God is about to pour his rain out on the land. Did you know in the Hebrew the word grace and the word rain are almost the same word? God is about to rain His grace down on that nation. And I just want to say this to you this morning. He'll rain His grace down on you. What they wanted was rain. What they saw was fire. The power of God fell so He could get their attention, so He could give them what He wanted to give them. He wanted to give them grace. Can I tell you something? Maybe the best next step for your life is that your life not gets better, but it gets more desperate. Maybe what you don't need first is rain. Maybe what you need is fire. And that fire produces a dryness. And, a, and, a, and I got no answers. 
I got nowhere to go. I got nowhere to turn. I got nothing left. What am I going to do? You're going to find that God is everything you ever wanted and needed and longed for. That's what's about to happen. If you're here and you're desperate, I want to say something to you. Don't give up hope. You may be dry and you may be desperate, but I want to tell you something this morning. God knows your name. If you've ever felt abandoned or forgotten when a person surrenders to Jesus, Jesus might not make it right immediately, but he will make it right eventually because everybody's life is better when Jesus is at the center. Hold on. God's about to send the rain. Now here Elijah is. He's praying for rain. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. He's praying for rain. If you have time to read the rest of the chapter, he goes up on the top of Mount Carmel. He puts his head between his knees. He is in heavy and deep intercession. He sends his servant out and says, go look over the water and tell me if there's rain. He comes back, he says, no. Go do it again. He comes back, he says, no. Go do it again. Come back, he says, no. Go do it again. He comes back. He does it seven times. Seven times he tells him to go look, and it's nothing. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? He was praying for the power of God. He prayed once, and the fire fell. But when he's looking for a breakthrough in grace, we understand power. Do we understand grace? And grace, God's power is part of God's grace. Verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off. Jezreel. The people that poured their water on the altar, I want to ask you a question. They put it in their little flask. They maybe put all the water they had. They got on their little camel or donkey or they walked on their sandals, whatever. They ran up a day or two or a week to get to Mount Carmel. They get to the top. They pour their water out. Now, did they get their water back or not? Did they get their water back or not? Why? It rained. It hadn't rained in three years. And now the sky exploded and rain fell, a great deluge. As a matter of fact, uh, Elijah told his servant, you better hurry up and get down to the sea because it's about to rain so hard, you're not going to be able to even take the path we took up on this hill. It's going to be a mudslide. Did they get their water back or not? Yes. You know why? Because you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. The people who gave their water didn't get it back immediately, but they did get it back eventually. One more time. Surrender is not when we give God something. It's when we give God everything. So what's the issue this morning for you? What's your issue? What do you struggle to surrender? As the worship team's coming, I want you to focus your mind in on your own heart and life. Where are you at? What do you struggle? What's the one thing if you said, if God asked for that, like, I, like I've already prioritized, I'll give Him this, and I'll give Him this, and I'll give Him this. Come on, God. Don't ask for that. What is that? What is that? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? Is it an immoral habit? Is it a hidden sin? Is it money? Is it time? God, I'm, I got a busy life. I got a lot to do. Got a lot going on. God says, you're not desperate enough yet. God doesn't want to be second. He didn't die to be third. Like he wants to be first.
1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However as it is written, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. You and I can't even imagine what God has planned for us. No eye is seen, no ear is heard. Neither has it entered into the imagination of man what God has planned. God has plans for you. But it's not... He's, he's concocted the plans before you and I were even here or even knew who He was. It's not He that holds out on us. It's we that hold out on Him. Because we say, no, not this area, not that area, not that area. I'm in control. I'm in charge here. The question I have for you this morning is, if you want to live a blessed life, you have to surrender. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and let's pray this morning. I ask our prayer team to come. Every eye closed. Man, this is such a... This is like the moment, right? This is like the this is like the moment. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know, the truth is, um, I'm not battling to surrender, you know, this area or that area. I've I've never even given Jesus my life. Today, if that's you and you want to give Jesus your life. He wants you to live a blessed life. But it comes through our surrender to Him. Every eye closed. If you'll just find a place you can get still. Would you just lift your hand and say, today I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Today I want to give my life to Him. I want to invite Him into my heart. I want to have a relationship with God. And I want to surrender myself to Him. I see your hand. You put it right back down. grateful I am that you're here today. God brought you by divine appointment. Thank God for you. Somebody else. Just, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to give my life to Him. Maybe you've been away from God for a long time. Today you say, I want to come back. Like I'm just very, very, very distant. And I want to surrender today and come back. Would you just lift your hand? I just want to pray for you. God bless your heart. God loves you. He has plans for you. All right, now, for everybody else, you're here this morning, and it's a relationship, it's money, it's bitterness, it's anger, it's frustration, it's time, it's something, something. If you'll just stand with your eyes closed and sink in with God and ask right now, Holy Spirit, search my heart something you haven't surrendered and you you know without a shadow of a doubt in your heart God is speaking to you and He's calling you to lay that thing down. It's time to get this area of your life right. Maybe it's a secret sin, whatever it is. And you say, I've got to surrender. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a minute. 
I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to look around. I don't want you to figure out if somebody else is going to do it. I want you to respond to God. To the Holy Spirit speaking your heart and say, Yes, God is calling me to surrender. If He's calling you to surrender something, I want you to lift your hand now. Just lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. You know, you know maybe it's fear. Maybe it's frustration. Yeah, I see it. God is calling me to surrender this thing to Him. I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to begin to sing. And if you lifted your hand, I want you to come and let someone pray with you. And we're going to dismiss everybody else. Everybody else is free to go at that point. But I'm going to invite you to come for prayer. Lord, I thank you today that you are the God who loves us. And you are the God who has planned things for our life before we knew we had a life. I thank you that you are moving in this room. That you are blessing and touching and equipping and empowering and strengthening and bringing freedom and life and joy. And I thank you that you are saturating us this morning. And you are putting a desperation in our heart to know you and to follow you and to be like you. You're putting a hunger in us to be free. You're putting a hunger in us to to live the Christian life. God, I pray today as as we take that step to meet you, I pray this morning now, you meet us in torrential downfall, downpour, that a rain will hit our soul. And we'll begin to drink and be free. As we surrender, there'll be a new layer of freedom in our life. If you lifted your hand, I want you to move right now. If you lifted your hand, I want you to move right now. And I want you to come and let our team pray with you. As the worship team begins to sing.